is your number one suggestion for sales directors and VPs who are concerned about their declining sales growth? I would say the most important thing is to focus on your ideal customer. It's human nature to want to go for as big a market as possible because you think the more people are in the market, the better chance you have of winning something. But that actually can divert your efforts and you often end up doing, trying to do too many things for too many people. And everyone has a limited number of resources and there's a limited number of targets that you can approach, particularly executive level, at any one time. So rather than trying to approach a thousand companies and doing it badly. It's much better to focus on 50 companies and do it well. So that would be my advice, would be to identify your ideal customer, find out which companies fit that profile, and then focus on them very, very closely. And I guess if I had to add a second thing, I'll, I'll give three things. The second is that no matter how close a company is to your ideal customer, they might not have a, but they might not need what you're selling now. It might not be their priority, which means you need to be prepared to move on. But you also need to be prepared to nurture them until such time as they are a potential and they are ready. Because sometimes you can call someone today and what you can do for them isn't what they want. But in a month or two months or six months' time, it is. So you need to have that. Sure, you need a short-term focus on making your numbers, but you also need a longer-term focus on working with a company, the types of company you'd like to work with that have a need for what you sell. Okay, got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you need to identify your uh, customer uh, persona and then proceed. Yeah. Got it. Not, not just your customer persona, yes, but the thing is there's always, there's always thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies you could approach. Okay. But, but physically, you can only really approach a small number at any one time, so they may as well be the very best you've got. Yeah. Okay. The next question is, uh, what are the common mistakes you see sales reps make when uh, selling to the C-suite? Okay, well, I mean, there's a number. The, first of all, often they don't do it. They're scared to. They think, oh, they're too busy, they're too important, you know, they won't listen to me, so they don't even try to approach the C-suite. So that's obviously, if you, if you don't try, you're not going to do it. But when they do, there's still a number of things. First of all, the first thing to understand is that your prospects, whether it's prospects in the C-suite or prospects anywhere, don't give a damn about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about your webinars, your case studies, your position in the Gartner Triangle. Yeah. Because you're only, to them, you're only one of a thousand companies who wants to sell them stuff. And they've got their own business to run. So you need to understand that initially, when you're trying to get them, you're an, you're an interruption. And they don't want to take the time to read long emails, listen to long t conversations, read long case studies. So you've got to be focused on what they want, and how you can help them to get it. Uh, and yet, far too many salespeople don't speak their customer's language. If I'm speaking to bankers, I need to be able to talk about things that bankers talk about, not about IT. When I spoke, when I sold, publishing software to publishers. I would talk about books and ISBNs and publishing runs and pub dates and things that publishers care about. I certainly wouldn't be talking about um, DASD and uh, processor speeds and things like that. So you've got to talk in your customer's language and C-level executives, whether it's a CFO or a CEO, have their own jargon and their own language, which depends upon their position and their role and also the industry they're in. Yeah. 
So you need to understand that, which comes down to really not being able to look at things from the perspective of the prospect. Far too often salespeople, they try to sell too soon. They try to do too much too soon. When you're first targeting a C-level executive, you want to, you want to have a meeting with them. Okay. They haven't got the time or the inclination or the interest to understand what you're trying to sell them. You've got to just sell them on giving them 15 minutes of, your, of their valuable time. So the only question you really have to answer is, why should I give you 15 minutes of my time compared to all the 80 other people who want, that, that want my time? Yeah. Um, and um, then when they do get through, they talk about themselves all the time and their products and their company. They're going to talk about the other person, their business issues, and show they understand it. Your product is irrelevant if they, haven't got the, if they haven't got the issue that you can help them solve. It's not relevant if, they, if, if you're not credible. So it starts with the customer and the customer's issues and the customer's priorities. And far too often salespeople forget, forget about that. So the other thing is that you've got to be credible. If I call a CEO and I happen to get through or I send an email and they read it or I speak to the executive assistant and they put me through or they pass on a message, they're going to check me out. And if I go to someone saying, look, I can help you, um, I, I, I can help you increase your sales by 50%, for instance. If they then, they're going to check me out. They're going to go to my website. They're going to go to my LinkedIn profile. And if my LinkedIn profile says, oh, I'm a gun salesman and I screw my customers and I always make quota and I crush my quota, the messages don't add up. So what you say when you're approaching someone has to fit your public persona on social media and on your website. I spoke to someone a while back, very, very good salesperson who really understood her customer, and her company sold managed services for printing. And she really understood the impact of potentially being um, getting hacked through bad firmware or having patient records easily obtainable through, through printers and things like that. She really understood that. But when you went to her company's website, it talked about, oh, we work with Canon and our partners are all these printer companies. So the messages didn't match. So you've got to be, you've got to be credible. So there's some of the things that they do. And I guess the other thing is, as I say, people try to sell too soon rather than understand. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you answered. So speaking of the common mistakes uh, we see sales reps make, uh, what is the best channel to connect with the C-suite? <laughs> I don't know. What's the best way to get from uh, Sydney to Melbourne? Is it plane? Is it train? Is it car? Is it transport or beam? The answer is it depends. There are many different ways. There's the phone, there's the executive assistant. Obviously, referrals are a very, very useful tool that's part of that. There's LinkedIn, there's email. So all of those are valid channels, and they depend upon the particular circumstance. It may be a trade show. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of going to trade shows as, as, a, um, as an exhibitor, although I have done it because when I saw publishing software, we exhibited it publishing at, at book shows, not because we wanted to catch the people that attended, but because our customers went there and we wanted to be seen to be part of the industry. Yeah. It could be, there's many, many ways. If you want to say what's the simplest and possibly the most effective to me, it's dead simple. Pick up the phone, call the executive assistant and say, hi, I want to meet you with Mary, please. What do I do? And she'll, he or she will say, well, what's it about? And you say, well, it's about helping you to do whatever it is that, you're, that you want to help them to do that you know they care about. 
you say, I read an article they wrote in Forbes magazine last week, and in it they said blah, 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 and I've got some ideas that, uh, that might help them. That's it. Absolutely. And then, and then you call them back a little bit later and to make sure that they, or then they'll say, can you send some more details? So you send an email and you say, hi, I saw you in Forbes magazine and you said this and I've got some ideas, can we talk? That's a very simple, very easy and often very effective way to do it. But is it the best? Well, it depends. Maybe they weren't in Forbes magazine. Maybe they haven't got an executive assistant. Maybe you can only get the executive assistant's voicemail and nothing else. Maybe you can, you know someone on LinkedIn and can, can introduce you, or maybe they're not on LinkedIn. So it depends very much on the particular circumstance. All right. So now that, uh, let's say, we have uh, caught the CC executive uh, to do a meeting with us. So what can we expect when they agree for a product demo or a meeting? What does I don't think they, sorry, go on. What does a C-suite ex, uh, expert will expect from us when they agree to do a product demo or a meeting? They expect us to do what they, they expect us to give them what they gave us the meeting for. Okay. In other words, if I say to them, you wrote an article in Forbes or on your LinkedIn page or your website, you said so-and-so and I have some ideas, they expect us to have some ideas. They expect us to be able to go in and say, okay, does this situation occur? Do you have this challenge? When we talk to other customers like that, they have this problem and the, the consequences were this. They expect you to understand their issues from their perspective and give them something that they don't know. What they don't expect is for you to go in there with a laptop and give them a demonstration of a piece of software because they don't really care about that. Yeah. So I don't think, with one, exam, with one exception, I don't think you should ever do a demonstration in an initial meeting. Okay. Now, the one exception... There's a cartoon that you've been seeing for a long time, that I'm sure, which many people have seen, which shows a, a, a knight in armor in battle, a king with a sword and bows and arrows. And there's a machine gun salesman. And, and the, someone says, hey, there's a salesman here to see you. And the king says, I'm too busy in a battle. And that particular situation, if you've got a machine gun and you can shoot a few people, that's a good demonstration. But unless the demonstration is really, really graphic and dramatic, you should avoid them at all costs. Got it. And uh, what is the key to cracking enterprise sales, especially when multiple stakeholders are involved? Well, I think the idea is to start at the top. If it's an enterprise sale and there's multiple decision makers, eventually someone at the top has to sign the check. And that same person is probably the person that initiated the entire buying process. No one says, I'm going to go out and buy a piece of software or a CRM or a new warehouse. They say, we have a business problem. The problem is we're not selling enough or we can't get our goods to the market quickly enough or we don't have capacity to serve our customers or whatever it might be. And from there, they look at potential solutions and eventually they decide that, yeah, okay, we need to do buy a so-and-so. But you need to understand what initiated that and that usually starts at the top. Okay. If you understand what initiated the sale of the buying process, and if you understand the strategic benefits of what you're selling and the strategic consequences of them not getting what they want, that's the starting point. But then, and then when you talk to people down the line, you can bring it back to that, but you also need to recognize that different people have different problems. 
So IT are going to worry about whether it fits in with their strategy and if it's another, how complicated it is to implement because they're, they're busy as anything. Well, procurement's one of going to try and drive the price down. They're not going to care about the strategic implications. And the people that use it are going to care about, well, I'm used to this one and now I've got to use that one and I've got to learn it. Will, they, will I be able to support it? And people in um, sales are going to say, oh, God, not another piece of software I've got to use. So you've got to deal with each individual stakeholder about their specific concerns. And you've got to bring up objections. Everyone's got objections. Everyone thinks, oh, how, is this going to make me too busy? Is this going to fit in with our, our strategy? And rather than let them think about them and, not, and, and, and talk to someone else about them, you've got to say things like, okay, now, one of the challenges people find when they implement an ERP system is that it does, you know, the conversions are very important. It's important to get the conversions correct. Otherwise, the last thing you want is your customers slowing down. So the way that we handle that is this way. Now, another thing you need to think about is the training, because obviously you want your people to be able to use it on day one. So the way we handle that is this. So you bring the objections up, and you show them how you overcome them. So that they are part of the keys of enterprise sales, understanding what people want, understanding what their hidden fears are, and addressing those fears. Because you can be pretty sure your competitors won't. They'll try and push them over. And if your competitors say, oh, no, that'll be it. She'll be, she'll be right. That's fine. Whereas you said, no, you've got to think about these things. Then it gives you more credibility. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that perfectly makes sense. Speaking of uh, cracking enterprise sales, uh, how can one go about developing a winning sales strategy in the SaaS industry? Well, when you, when you say a winning sales strategy, um, I think there's a lot of things in the sales strategy. The yeah. the key to, uh, will you excuse me one second, I'm going to have a cup of tea. Huh? So I am specifically looking at uh, prospecting and pipeline uh, building strategy. Okay, well prospecting starts with picking the right prospects. It starts with understanding the types of company that need, that have problems that you can help them solve. And not only that, but that have problems that are pressing, because every company's got thousands of problems. But they only really ever focus intensely on in a small number. So who's already focusing on the problem that you've got, or is likely to start focusing on it in the very near future? That's the first thing. So the selection of the prospects is, 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 is critical. Um, then secondly, the question is, okay, who am I going to approach? And as you know, my preference is to start at the top. But you, don't, you can't always get through to the top. So if I can't get through to the CEO, who do I go to next? If the CEO's executive assistant says, okay, well, he's busy, you need to be able to say, well, as well as the CEO, we talk to the CFO or the COO or the CIO or whoever it may be, and that's Bill. And then when you do that, you need to know what their issues are. Okay. So because you're focusing on a relatively small number rather than trying to be everything to everyone, you can afford to do enough research to understand their specific perspective and their specific issues and how you can help them. Because we talk about value propositions, but a lot of value propositions are one size all, one size fits all for everyone. I mean, one size fits all doesn't work for socks. So if it wouldn't even work for soft, how can it possibly work for what different people in different industries and in different companies think is valuable? So to me, it's prospecting starts with selecting the right prospects. Then it starts, then it's understanding what their priorities and their issues are and how you can tie what you 
sell into helping them with what they care about, then the next thing is, how do you get that message to them in a way that cuts through and what is that message? And the message is gonna be very short and simple because anything long and complex will be misunderstood. People will jump to the wrong conclusion, it will be too hard for them, they won't read it, they won't listen. So it's gonna be, you're gonna start really simple and small and build up from there. And you obviously do need to qualify, but most of your qualification should be done before you call them, not when you call. If you're calling a senior executive and you're saying, have you got a budget, have you got a timeline, have you got authority, you're basically saying, are you important enough for me to bother with? And they, they, they can quite rightly get insulted at that. And it's also, it doesn't help them. Okay. How, does giving you, how does giving you that information help them? It doesn't. Whereas if you say, look, have you had this situation? You're an aged care organization, and there's, a, there's currently a Royal Commission into aged care at the moment, and a lot of homes are being sanctioned. That must be of concern to you. We've got some ideas that can help you address the concerns that you have in aged care and get ahead of the game with the Royal Commission. Is that something that you're currently focused on? And that's a question that's very specific to them and relevant to them and about them. It's not, have you got the authority? Uh, and that's the start of the strategy, but there's obviously a lot more. Yeah, I know. This is a very detailed, uh, uh, this question requires a detailed answer, I know that. But to summarize, uh, I guess we need to identify the right prospect, and the messaging has to be very short and clear. Identify their pain points and address our solution, and uh, qualify them when you call. No, qualify them before you call. Don't qualify them when you call. You qualify, you qualify they have a need. You obviously need to know that what you, the problem that you're trying to help them solve is one that matters to them. How important is this to you? What have you done? So you definitely talk about the, the, their problem, but in terms of their budget and their authority, if you're talking to the C-suite, they've got the authority, and, if, and, and as far as the budget's concerned, if they, haven't, if they have got a budget, great. If they haven't got a budget, it's a quitting problem, you can help them set the budget. You can tell them what the budget should be. Yeah. And I would much rather go to someone who hasn't got a budget but has a big problem and show them how much they need to spend to fix it than I would when they've already got a, a problem and someone else has shown them what they have to do. Because there's someone else to help them set the... No one sets a budget in a vacuum. If they've got a budget, some vendor has helped them set that budget. Okay, cool. Got it. And uh, the next question is, uh, what is the emerging trend you see in sales in the next year, 2020? I think there's going to be a move back to personalization. At least I hope there is. I think at the moment there are far too many people throwing value propositions, throwing videos and LinkedIn messages and emails at the wall to see what sticks. And because so many people are doing it, prospects are overwhelmed. So I think targeting is going to become much more important. And I think personalization of messaging and reach out is going to become much more important. Now, artificial intelligence is going to help with targeting. It's going to help with finding people who have problems. But I think artificial intelligence and automated messaging is a big mistake. I think you need to use the AI tools to find the right prospects. But then I think you need to personalize your approach to get to them. Because if you're selling a solution that's a million, where a new customer's worth a million dollars upwards, it's worth taking the effort to find the ones where you've got a good chance. Because often when people come to you, if you use the um, digital marketing 
inbound leads and you get a thousand inbound leads, you can be pretty sure that 900 of them are people from people on the shop floor that haven't got any authority and a hundred of them are the remaining ones are from competitors and only about five, I mean CEOs don't go looking on, um, on, on, on platforms for, to, to find white papers. And they don't give you your point scores on your digital marketing. They're the people that report to the CEO that do that work. And if they're doing that work, not too late, but you're certainly behind the eight ball because someone else is already in there before you. So you need, I think you need, I think you can certainly use digital marketing to get buying signals and to identify who's in the market, who is going to be in the market. But then you've got to go to them at the top rather than let them come to you at the bottom. Okay. Just to summarize the emerging trend in the next year that you foresee is uh, personalization, videos, artificial intelligence. AI for research. And the other thing is I think that people, you mentioned one of the things that, you've, um, that you mentioned when you sent me some questions was software as a service. Um, and the thing about software as a service is that the value of a customer is different. When you sell... When I used to sell ERP systems, they cost anything from a quarter of a million dollars to a few million dollars. And that you could back straight away. So that meant it was worth my while to spend a lot of time nurturing a customer until they were ready. Now, when you sell software as a service, you get a, month, a monthly or a yearly, a yearly um, payment. Yeah. But you need to be able to look at the lifetime value of that customer yeah. and have some metrics that say, okay, how much effort is it worth me putting into doing a personalized message to a CEO? And if you say, well, it's $5,000 a month, it's not worth it. But if you know it's $5,000 a month for five years, then that's, you know, what, gosh, 20 or 60, that's um, $150,000 or whatever it might be. So you've got to be able to look at the lifetime value of a customer when you're looking at customer acquisition. And the funny thing is that mail order firms were doing this 60 years ago when they were looking at acquiring customers, looking at lifetime values. In B2B, in software as a service, we tend to ignore it. And we pay a salesperson based upon a year's, you know, a year's um, st people staying for a year. You've got to look at how, once you've got a customer, how can you keep them for five years, 10 years? Okay, got it. And um, what is the one actionable input or key takeaway that you want to give it to the readers? Okay, the most important thing in any sales, B2B sales, is salespeople need to understand that their customers either don't know who they are and don't care, or know who they are, or think they know who they are, but they're wrong and they still don't care. In other words, if you're a small company approaching a big company, the small company's never heard of you and they don't want to hear from you because they've got 8 million other small companies that they can hear from. And if you're a big company, if you're Salesforce, yeah. they think they know what Salesforce does because they know Salesforce at CRMs, but they don't know that Salesforce owns all these other companies. So, got, so they've got a mis mistaken understanding of what you are because they've got better things to do than worry about what Salesforce does. But, so, and, and they don't care. They don't want to know what Salesforce does because they've got their own problems. So you've got to remember that your, your prospects don't give a damn about you but they do give a damn about their problems. So you have to talk about what their problems are and how you can help them. And to me, that is the biggest thing that most salespeople fail to realize. They have this misapprehension that because they care desperately about their product, their service, and what it can do, that their customers share that. But their customers don't. Their customers only care about what, what you can do for them. Okay. So understanding customers is the first 
uh, priority when it comes to selling? Not just understanding customers, but understanding where you sit in their priorities, which is in their scale of priorities, you come underneath their board, underneath their direct reports, underneath their peers, underneath their employees, underneath their suppliers, underneath their existing customers, underneath their best friends and their hobbies and their family. You come underneath all of those and then you probably come underneath all the other salespeople who are talking to them. So in their hierarchy of things they care about, you are right at the very bottom. Yeah. And you need to find a way to get up that list. <laughs> Um, the next question is, Steve, uh, what are the sales tools you think are must-have for sales professionals? Okay, well, um, certainly LinkedIn, I think, is becoming essential. Yeah. Um, depending on what you sell, let's assume you're selling B2B, LinkedIn is essential. Although, I do know people who sell, um, sell high-value um, medical equipment to hospitals. Yeah. In that particular industry, and also in government, yeah. People tend to be less of them they tend to be on LinkedIn. So it's by not, not editing, but by all means. But I think that's essential. The phone is essential. You can't be actually talking to someone. Um, I think that, I mean, LinkedIn is essential for research. Obviously, the web is essential to do research and understand them and to look at industry um, information and um, annual reports and all of those things. But... Other than that, the tools I think you need are more abilities. You need a brain. You need to be able to put yourself in the prospect shoes and think about it from their perspective. You need to be able to ask intelligent questions and listen. And you need to understand your customer's business from your customer's perspective. And no amount of other tools and artificial intelligence and videos and, and uh, embedded, embedded things will make up it if you don't have those skills. And what are the books would you recommend to a fellow salesperson? Okay, well, the ones I always recommend, there's um, Influence and, and uh, Persuasion by uh, Robert Cialdini. I think they're both great to understand the psychology of people. And another one that's very good for the psychology, not just of buyers, but of people, is um, Predictable Irrationality by Dan Ariely. He's a, he's a psychologist. And really anything that teaches you about people and how they think, I think is very, very valuable. Um, Never Split the Difference by Christopher Voss is an excellent book on negotiation and, and on building uh, rapport. With, he, he dealt with hostages. He was FBI hostage negotiator. And it's very, very good for talking about negotiating and talking about listening to people. I'd recommend all salespeople read that. Um, there's a couple of new ones. There's Buyer-Centered Selling by Tom Williams and Tom Sane. Uh, that's just come out. That's, uh, that's very good looking again, looking at things from the buyer's perspective. Uh, and there's um, the Top Sellers Leaders Playbook, which has just come out by Lisa Magnuson. I'm a bit biased there because I helped uh, contribute towards a chapter, but that's a very good playbook for different, uh, different scenarios. Okay. Um, and there's How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, which if nothing else is a really fun read by Stu Hannock. He, um, that's a really good, gives you some really good off-the-wall ideas for getting a meeting if you can't get one the standard way. Oh. Um, and then Strategic Selling by Miller Hyman is still a great book. Um, and then going back a bit, probably the classic is How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was written in about 1934 by Dale Carnegie. It's still a great book about looking at things from another person's perspective. Uh, and then really anything on psychology, people, building, building rapport, building empathy. Great. That's a great collection of books. Um, and the last question to you is, uh, who do you look up to in sales? Uh, who is your... 
or inspiration in sales? It's hard to say one person. I would certainly say there's a guy called John Bedwani. He's on LinkedIn. He's, uh, he's in the Sales Experts channel, and he has his own company. And he gave me my first sales job back in 1994. Uh, and then he became one of my first clients when I, when I worked out, went out and worked, uh, worked for myself. And he's got some very innovative and great ideas. So he helped me a lot in terms of sales. John Smybert. Who um, who is runs um, sales leadership forums in Australia, and um, who started Sales Mastermind APAC, um, and then there's a, obviously there's um, a lot of people there's a lot of people like Anthony Inarino, Mark Hughes, um, Martino, uh, sorry, Mario, Mario Martinez, um, and people in uh, uh, Jonathan Farrington. There's a lot of a lot of people, but. There's no one person who's head and shoulders above the rest simply because there are so many different aspects of sales. Yeah. The people who wrote the books that I mentioned are obviously you know, very influential. Right. Uh, thanks, David. It was great talking to you today.